the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. About the book of Acts, uh, last Wednesday night, we got to the second chapter, and our series title is entitled, Acts Right. You better act right. <clears throat> Tonight's is the fourth part of this series, and it's called, Getting Them Lost to Get Them Found. Getting Them Lost, and I, I use an E-M with an apostrophe, Getting Them Lost to Get Them Found. You know, my, I often tell stories of my papa, my, my grandfather. He was quite a character. He always, with one of his favorite statements was, Oh boy, oil's oil. Because he would use the same motor oil in his car that he would use in his boat. Oh, it don't matter. Papa, you're supposed to use two-cycle oil in a two-cycle engine. Oh, oil is oil. He, and it would be... He would drain it out of a truck somewhere, and he'd use it in something else. It didn't matter if it was dirty oil. I don't, he would run down, and if he, he would buy the cheapest stuff that he could find, some Quaker State on sale or something, and he would put it in everything. I don't know. I thought I had learned better than my papa. I wouldn't agree with that. I know that you know there's different kinds of oil for different things. And till this morning, when I'm on the way to the church. And I'm driving down the expressway, and red lights start hitting me on my dashboard. Stop, stop, shut off engine. Low oil pressure. Well, I know I got plenty of oil in there. So I look over at, I said, sir, that must be a mistake. I look over at my temperature gauge. It's still looking good. I said, well, something wrong with my engine, and, you know, it would overheat. So I'm, I better just keep going. But I kept driving down the road. Another quarter mile, another half mile, that thing's still going. And I mean, it's not just a light, it's a ding, ding, ding. I can't even hear the radio, you know. I tried to cut it up and drown it out. <laughs> no, I didn't do that, but <clears throat> it's ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Only women do that. <clears throat> Anybody learned that the hard way? Anyway, I finally decided to pull over, and I, so I pulled over. I called Angie. I said, I don't know. My, you know, low oil pressure light's on. Uh, so I called Tom. Just see, I, I said, Tom, what should I do? Well, I didn't call Tom yet because I cranked it back up, and then it looked like it got a little oil pressure, and the light went off. So I started driving some more. And I drove and got off on Church Road, and I made it up, and I said, I better get off the expressway. So I made it down Church Road, made it all the way to 51, right there at that Mapco. And it started ding, 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 dinging again. And I pulled off and I called Tom. I said, Tom, I said, it, I don't know what it is, but this is what's happening. I don't know if my oil pump's going out or whatever, but my temperature gauge is fine. Guess what he said? You'll find out later. Somebody knows the routine around here. I'll live with it. <laughs> you always find out later, huh? Well, anyway, we'll finish that story. But let's turn to Acts chapter 2, where we left off. When we last saw this group, they had just had the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Ghost, tongues of fire on their head, and, and they're all speaking in a new language. And this is a supernatural gift uh, because they're not just speaking in their prayer language, they're speaking in other people's languages from different countries that they don't even know how to speak, but they're, they're speaking and people from different languages are understanding them. And they don't even know how they're doing it. So, it's a gift of God. In verse 13, when the people saw this, that, what, what did they say? They must be drunk. <laughs> I wonder if anybody's ever said that about our church. 
those people drunk down there. But others in the crowd saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven and the other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. We don't start till 10.15, typically. <laughs> the, the liquor store don't even open until noon. What are you saying? He says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So this is something that had been foretold. Peter recognizes the situation where he's at right now. He says, in the last days, can anybody recognize the situation we're in? If Peter thought he was in the last days, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Ironically, my daughter's up here prophesying for us tonight. <clears throat> Prophesy, it can mean foretelling the future, but mostly it just means preaching. It means telling of God's word in a way that people can understand. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. You see, I'm seeing visions. Tom, not so much. He's having dreams. <laughs> in those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants uh, even on my servants men and women alike and they will prophesy because there needs to be a lot of preaching going on we're living in a big world in these last days did they know that there would be 7 billion plus people on the earth that's a lot of preaching got to be done right there <laughs> And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. Listen to this. The sun will become dark, and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord. Well, I know that I have seen recently signs in the heavens above. And I'm not even going to talk about the stars things lining up and all the things going on. Let's just talk about the sun becoming dark, and the moon turning blood red for just a moment. In an article by Unsealed World News, it reports on recent activity since 2014 in the sun and the moon. They say everyone talks about the four consecutive blood moons, but they were part of a larger story. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what's going on in the time we live. Eleven, eleven eclipses, eleven Eclipses falling on Jewish holy days since 2014. What's the chances of that? Every time we have an eclipse or a blood moon, it's on a Jewish festival holiday. Jesus said there would be signs in the sun, moon, and stars too in Luke 21, 25. Let me just tell you, name a few of them. On April 15th, starting back in April 15th, 2014, the first blood moon, a total, total lunar eclipse, happened on the Feast of Passover. On October 8, 2014, that same year, the second blood moon, a total lunar eclipse on the Feast of Tabernacles. On March 20, 2015, a total solar eclipse on Nisan 1, the biblical New Year. The Jews have their own calendar. It doesn't really match up with ours. April 4th, 2015, the third blood moon, a total lunar eclipse on the Feast of Passover. September 13th, 2015, a partial solar eclipse signals the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets. These are not just happening three weeks before, a month after. These are happening on the days of this going on. September 28th, the fourth blood moon, a total lunar eclipse, and supermoon visible over Jerusalem on the Feast of Tabernacles. It was only visible in its totality in the city of Jerusalem, a full blood moon and a total lunar eclipse on September 28th, 2015, during the Feast of Tabernacles. On March 9th, 2016, a total solar eclipse on Nisan 1, the biblical new year. Sounds like I'm saying this again. 
But these are different dates. March 23rd, 2016, a partial lunar eclipse on the Feast of Passover. September 1st, 2016, a solar eclipse signals the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets again. September 16th, 2016, a partial lunar eclipse on the Feast of Tabernacles. And then coming this August 21st, 2017, a total solar eclipse across the middle of the United States on Rosh Chodesh, whatever that is, some Jewish feast, some Jewish uh, something or another, whatever they do. <clears throat> now, that's, like I said, that's not to mention all the things going on in the stars at the same time with, uh, what was it recently, that Saturn or no, uh, Jupiter and uh, what's the smaller beautiful planet? Uh, no, Venus, I think, came in alignment. And, and some people said that that was the same thing that the wise men saw that led them to Jesus when those two planets aligned. Does anybody remember seeing that huge ball in the sky? It's like biggest star you ever saw? Anyway, I say all that just to say, God gives us signs in the times. And it says in the last days, what? We will see signs in the stars and in the moon and in the sun. Eclipse is like eclipse in the sun. The, moon, the sun will go dark, right? And the moon will turn red. What is that? Blood moon, all right. Anyway, so all that is insignificant in What was I going to say? <laughs> Compared to verse 21. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have nothing to fear if we're right with Jesus. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter's preaching. He's come out. He's been... He's operating in this new gift. He's never operated in the Holy Ghost before that I know of, except when, maybe when he walked on water, but that was probably Jesus' faith. But he, Peter is preaching, and he's being polite. He's saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is not as you, he's not cussing anybody. He's confident. Peter's always been confident, but he's not cocky. He's not overdoing it. He's explaining to the people that God is here trying to help you. You see, he's giving you signs. These signs are to alert you to something coming. These signs are to wake you up because God cares about you. He's not just going to come on you like a thief in the night unless you let him. Verse 22, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. And with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Congratulations, people. He's that's pretty bold to stand up in front of a huge crowd because see what had happened when they began to speak in these other languages? A huge crowd gathered. Have you noticed when miracles begin to happen, people come running to see what's going on? It's like a dinner bell for the gospel. That's why Jesus would do miracles. He would gather the crowds. They would come because he was feeding the 5,000 and so forth. Anyway, he so he uses this opportunity to tell them, you nailed him to a cross. So he lays the blame right there on them. He gets them lost. Remember the title of tonight's message. Got to get them lost before you get them found. And then he goes on, and he begins to tell them who this Jesus was that they crucified. And, and the good news is that, you know, if you'll put your trust in him, and if you go on down to verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. So he says two things. Repent and turn to God. And be baptized. Oh, three things. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, 
the same gift that we're operating in, it can be yours for the low, low price. (laughs) For the low, low price of repenting of your sins, turning to God, and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, and to all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued to preach for a long time. (laughs) I know what he's doing here. He's, He's strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So that's just those who believed. So it must have been a really big crowd, or maybe most of them believed. It's, I mean, if I saw people speaking in unknown languages and I could understand them, I would probably say, hey, there's got to be some legitimacy to this. But anyway, the church began to grow quickly after that. Uh, 3,000 in one day is a good start. You know, we've been in this building for 16 years, hadn't been able to fill it up yet. So 3,000 in, in one day, pretty good start. <clears throat> then after that, you get to like Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It begins to tell the story that uh, later on, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and they come to the gate beautiful, and there's this lame man who's been lame for, I think, 38 years or something, laying there, and he, he begs alms. He's always been lame, and, and that's what he does. Somebody carries him there, they lay him down, and he's got his little tin cup or whatever, and he looks at you, and that's how he makes his living. You know, I, I would give to somebody like that. You know, if he's lame and he can't work or whatever. You know, you just don't know who you're giving to these days. they got professionals out there, but God says, you know, that's not for, so much for us to judge. It's just a... For us to give. But anyway, the man looks at Peter and is like, what you going to give me? And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Arise and walk. And he lifted up the man by his wrist. He jumps up leaping and praising God. And you know the story. And then once again, God gives a miracle to start to gather the crowds. Because after that, guess what happened? Everybody in the temple like, is that the man that was by the gate? What's he doing walking? I've been seeing him for 25 years. You know, what's he doing? So they're all excited. What happened? So he goes around telling everybody, they told me to rise up, you know, and walk, and here I am. So they all gather, and they're surrounding Peter and John, and they're making a big to-do. And they're kind of insinuating that, are you guys the Messiah, you know? So in verse 12, it says, Peter saw his opportunity again. You know, when you get a crowd, preachers begin to see their opportunity. We need to see our opportunity more often. Our crowd may not be 3,000 people. Our crowd may be two people at the water fountain. But we need to be looking for opportunities. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what's so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Remember who you serve. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. And this is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected. There he goes, putting the blame on him again. What's he doing? You're so smart. Getting them lost. He's getting them lost, just like he did before. This is the same Jesus who you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. Remember, Pilate tried to release Jesus. He declared him innocent several times, but the people wouldn't let him. And he was such a sissy, he gave in. Verse 14, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You remember they wanted Jesus they wanted uh, Jesus crucified and Barabbas let go. He was a, a revolutionary who had been uh, convicted of murder. So they wanted a murderer instead of Jesus let go. You killed the author of life. How much more direct could you be? 
Have you ever walked up to a sinner and you killed the author of life? That's one way to put it, Peter. It's better if you're just talking to a crowd, I guess. It'd be hard to do that one-on-one. But he's telling it like it is. He's getting them lost. Sometimes you got to be hard. You killed the author of life. We did too. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of that fact. Do I have any witnesses in here tonight? (laughs) Aren't that what we're supposed to be? Witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ? Once again, Peter helps the, the crowd to see their responsibility in the murder of Jesus. Why he came. He gets them lost. In verse 16 it says, Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Talking about the lame man at the gate. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. See, if if you think everything's going good in your life, you don't have a lot of faith right now. Y'all don't need any faith right now. Everything's kind of rolling... You don't know what's coming down the road. And people need to see faith. You need to, if everything's going good right now and you get a little headache, you need to start working up to faith to not take an aspirin or something and believe God for it to take away your headache. Or just begin to put your faith out there and begin to see it work. Trust God in every situation. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins. There he is. There's that word again. Repent of your sins and turn to God. He's telling them the same thing he told the other crowd. So that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you, to, send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So after he got them lost, after he made them see their heart is desperately wicked, that that they're responsible, they're the reason Jesus had to come, he began to show them how to get found. You don't just get them lost and leave them there, do you? You get them lost and you show them how to get found. I know y'all have heard the story about the parachute. I know I've heard it told here a couple times, but I'll tell it again for maybe somebody hadn't heard it. There's these two guys flying on a jet, you know, and, and the, the, what is it, not a waitress, the uh, airline stewardess. The stewardess came by with, with parachutes, and she gave one to one man, and she said, here, and, you know, you may need this. You know, here's a parachute for you. He said, okay, and he puts it on, and he's like, what's this? It's pretty cool, they're giving away stuff, you know? This is mine to keep. And he co- she goes to another man. She goes, here, I didn't tell the guy over there, but somewhere on this trip, you're going to have to jump out of this plane at 25,000 feet. <laughs> and he puts on his parachute. And guess what happens? The one who just thinks it's a nice add-on, it's a giveaway or something, well, when the flight goes on, he's having to lean forward because the parachute's making him sit funny at a funny angle. He's like, this is uncomfortable. I'm starting to sweat. This thing's making me break out in a rash. He's looking around. Not everybody else has these things on, you know? In fact, most people don't have one on. I think, then they hit a little turbulence, you know, like going through the storm a little bit. And he said, I'm just going to take mine off. This is uncomfortable. But you know, the one who knew that he was going to need that parachute, that this plane was going down, he kept his parachute on. He wasn't going to take it off for nobody, (laughs) for nothing. And he was probably a little worried and looking around. He probably should have said, "You, you guys need to get up and put your parachutes on. Why don't you have your parachute on? I got a quote here from a guy said this to a, a pastor after a sermon. He was, still didn't believe, but he said, Sir, said a sinner addressing a preacher, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, 
Even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees, and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Maybe we don't do enough preaching about hell in the church anymore, but it's a real place. And it's a real long time there. In fact, it's eternity. And if you can imagine just excruciating pain and torture and make you weeping and gnashing of teeth for like 20 minutes, then imagine that for eternity. You don't want your worst enemy to go to hell. We need to be telling people, put your parachute on. Please. You're making me nervous. <laughs> you know, you see, some, you see these videos of these people up on these high rises, you know, 100 stories in the air in Dubai somewhere, and they're walking along the thing and, and doing cartwheels and trying to show how brave they are. I was like, get off of there, dude. What's wrong with you? Make me nervous. I don't even want to watch the video. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about the order of things. I think we read all that scripture to try to paint a picture that there's an order of how to reach somebody. I mean, there's no set way, but, but you begin to see a pattern in the way witnessing is done. First, Jesus told the disciples to go, you remember? He said before he left, last thing, he was just getting down to the, the brass tacks, so to speak, the important stuff. Go into all the world and make disciples. So he's giving them a big mission ahead, and that's us. We're supposed to go into all the world. But he says, wait. Get filled with the Holy Ghost first. Go, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait until you be endued with power from on high. In other words, you do not have the power to blow out a candle without the Holy Spirit. You can't do probably anything in the spiritual realm in your natural ability. You're going to need my help. I don't even want you trying. Just go and wait. Right? So immediately after they're filled on the day of Pentecost and they engage the people and they have that miracle of speaking in other languages, they engage the people, right? So, I mean, right off the bat, the tongues of fire stuff and all of a sudden they're speaking and they're, they're looking at each other, what's going on? <laughs> this is miraculous. There's the sound of a great rushing mighty wind, you know, and the building shaking and they come out on the streets and they're talking out and I don't even understand what I'm saying, you know, but I'm, this is powerful and people are drawn and all of a sudden they're engaging people. How many understand that we're not going to understand everything about the way the Holy Ghost works? His ways are higher than our ways. We're... Most of us are so scared to do anything. Oh, he's going to make me do No, the Holy Ghost is a gentleman. But they were, they were reveling in it. They wanted it, and they went out. They, they had been up there. Why? Because they were praying. They were in one accord. They were wanting what God wanted. And they were thinking, how can we have seen the risen Savior? How can we save this world? How can we go and make disciples? And they're thinking, like I think, when I'm praying up and down these, these halls here, and I'm thinking, God, what am I going to do? I'm just a young pastor. I don't know how to lead anybody. I can't even speak good. I, I stutter. I, the, and I'm not like Moses making all these excuses why I can't. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't do none of this. But then I see God's work. At th I, I, just, I don't know how he does it. I, I have learned that it's, all I have to do is say yes, Lord, and be obedient. I don't have to make anything happen. I don't even have to come up with any of the ideas. He gives them to me. He gives them to my leaders. He gives them to you, and you give them to me. Next thing I turn around, and things are going good. Not because I've done anything right. The only thing I've done right, say yes, Lord. And try not to stifle the work of the Holy Ghost. And it's the same thing we do in our individual lives. Let the Holy Spirit take control of your life. So, a miracle, the dinner bell for the gospel, just like Peter recognized. He jumps up on a hickory stump and he says, boys, let me tell you what. And he begins to preach to them. He saw a crowd gathering and he gets right up on them. I can't tell you how many times that when we're ministering, we're going door to door. Well, let me say this first. 
Okay, pastor, are you saying that when there's a miracle, then we can preach or we can share the gospel? Well, no, I'm not saying that. Many times, God is already working miracles in people's hearts before we get there. If we go to an outreach, knocking on doors, we go to the mall. Brother Tom, how many people did you have Saturday before last when we went door to door? You told me you had just a bunch of people saying, I have been praying for somebody to come. Their hearts were already, you had four people, already prepared, already waiting on somebody to tell them what they needed to hear and brother, somebody to come pray with them. And see, God, even the people that reject you, there's something going on in their hearts. God is preparing. That, the, the confrontations, not confrontations, the face-to-face -face interactions that we have with people, they're not always by accident. God has been working things in their hearts, preparing them for what you're going to say to them, if that makes any sense. So we don't have to have a supernatural miracle happen before we begin to minister. We just need to believe God is working miracles in people's hearts already. He's doing supernatural things. He's just being able to speak into somebody's life is something supernatural to me. So like Peter, secondly, we're supposed to be polite, not confrontational, confident, but not cocky. And, and we begin most, most often by telling them we're, that God is there to help them. You know, when we go out door to door, we knock on door, we say, here to pray for you, you know, do you have any needs? People need to know that you care. People don't, you know, if we go knock on door, we're from so-and-so church, and we want you to go to our church. Well, that's you wanting something from them. You, we're here to pray for you. We may not even mention our church. Because we care about you. That's a different attitude. Not, not, not that we won't tell them about our church because we want them eventually to come here so we can disciple them. Not just get them saved. But that's a whole other story. But we start, we're polite, we're here to help. We kind of soften their heart a little bit with a smile or whatever we can do. And then we get them lost. <laughs> We explain why Jesus had to die on the cross. You know, that's the biggest thing that I see is when I talk to people, oh, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. Yeah, do you know why? Uh, I guess the Romans got him. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know. They don't know why. Everybody knows he did pretty much in America, but nobody knows why. We have to explain it to them. We have to confront that we're all sinners. If we have to use ourselves as an example, we, I was, look, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I didn't know God. I began to use a testimony or something about my life. You know, I lived 32 years of my life without Jesus. You know, I began to use maybe the Ten Commandments to help get them lost. You've seen, what's his name on, on videos doing that? He, you know, have you ever lied? Well, I mean, I don't lie much. What do you call somebody that don't lie much? A liar. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever stole anything? Well, I didn't, you know, you know. But it only takes one sin to disqualify you from a perfect heaven, you see. And so you begin to see that they're liars, stealers, cheats, you know, by nature. We all, and then you take them to the Scriptures, we've all sinned. You don't, you don't believe them out there by themselves. Look, we, I'm one of you. I'm telling, I'm one beggar sharing the bread that I have found with another beggar. You know, I'm one of you. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so we use the law as our schoolmaster, like it brought us to Christ. Uh, the law is the revelation that we can't be good enough to earn heaven. That, that is, we're not saved by works of the flesh. That no man will see God because he's uh, good enough, so to, so to speak. Galatians 3.24. If we, if we don't get them lost, they'll never put on their parachute. You know what I mean? We'll probably make a false convert. And I'm guilty of that early on before I understood that principle. I was so anxious to get them to the sinner's prayer, to make them say a, a prayer and tell them how. You know, I was, I was telling them how good God is and the, the, all the benefits of, of this and that. I would hit them with that first. 
Man, you need Jesus, man. He's the greatest thing ever, and he is, and I'm not lying. But unless you tell them why they need Jesus, they're probably going to look at it, oh, that's a nice, that's a nice gift, but I'm not really going to wear this. They may say the sinner's prayer with no repentance in their heart, and you've made a false convert, somebody who thinks they're saved, but they're really not. You see, repentance is required for true salvation. Remember that word that Peter used twice? Repent. Paul said in Acts 20, 21, he said, I have had one message. Is that one or two? I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. That means everybody. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith towards the Lord Jesus. That's how you're saved. Repentance, it's required to be saved. A repentance is turning away from sin. It's a recognizing of your, your own filth and the need to turn. A, a recognition that you can't save yourself. That you have already fallen below God's glorious standards. When I used to role play with the youth, and I think we've done it in here a couple of times, we would... You know, have somebody act like somebody walking down the street or we're knocking on a door or something and somebody would go and we'd practice witnessing. Well, the youth, they would always be trying to get them to the prayer. They're trying to get them to the prayer. And, and I would say, no, you, whoa, stop, time out. You've got them to the prayer, but you ain't got them lost yet. And this person would, you know, the people, oh, yeah, I need to go to heaven. I mean, you can go out and carve all kind of notches on your belt Getting people saved, you think, by going and telling them, look, man, you say this prayer, you're going to heaven. All you got to do is confess Jesus. Say he's your Lord. They don't know what Lord means unless you tell them. Lord means the boss, that you're going to follow him, that you're no longer sitting on the throne of your life. That means you're giving your life away. But we make it sound like, oh, just say this word, Lord. And so we set them up to become, what, false disciples. So get them lost in a nice way, as gentle as you can, but help them see their depravity and their need to wear that parachute. Once they're lost, then give them the good news of how to be found, because we do come with good news. But if you don't get them lost first, it won't seem like good news. It'll seem like a gimmick. If you don't show them why Jesus died on the cross and that they're responsible that you rejected this, the Lord of glory, and that's why he had to hang on the cross to pay for your sins. Am I making sense? Or am I just hammering the same point? Tell him God's plan to redeem us from sin. Tell him his name is Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Make the cross seem like something to him. The cross is, is the pivot. It's, it's, the, it's the bridge. Without the cross, without the blood, without the sacrifice, we have no hope of heaven. It should mean something to them. Let them know that he suffered. Why he did it? Because of for the sins of mankind to pay a debt you couldn't pay. He's paying your debt up there. He's not just dying because the Romans put him there. He's paying your debt. Now Jesus' love begins to make sense to them. Now there's hope that they'll come to the end of themselves. And once you got them there, if you can get them to recognize their need for a Savior, close the deal. Fifth thing, close the deal. Can't always do it. Don't rush it. Don't make it happen. Don't force somebody. Don't get them into emotional high and do something that they're not really meaning. That's not, we're trying, not trying to coerce people. Did I even say that right? Have I said anything right tonight? We are not trying to brainwash anybody. We are just trying to tell them the honest to God truth. Close the deal if you can. Acts 2.41 says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. They believed what was preached to them, they went on and got baptized, and they got added to a church. And that's the way it should be. We have been guilty of going into the neighborhoods and getting people saved. 
but not being able to bring them to a church where they can get baptized and leaving them out there. We probably need to get a better follow-up plan of people who, who will say the sinner's prayer and, and we feel there's true repentance. We need to say, can we come back to your house? Can we come back and, and talk to you further and help them along? And even if it's not go to our church, to go to some church. Because it says go and make what? Disciples, not converts. So we have a, an extra responsibility beyond the sinner's prayer to, to make next-level Wednesday people. People, it's, the gospel's working in this life for them. You know, there's a lot of people who said the sinner's prayer, but the gospel ain't working in their life. So close the deal. Then lead them towards discipleship. Get added to a church. Teach, you know, the least, even if, you know, when we're in the jail, I at least try to say, okay, guys, where do you go from here? You know, you have 9 or 10, 15, 20 that stand up and, and, and want to repent and give their hearts to Jesus. Before we leave, I try to say, okay, guys, when you go back to your pods, get your Bibles out. Somebody begin a Bible study. You know, it's important you stay in your Word. You know, it's important that you begin to pray to God. You, all it is is communication. Make it real simple on the level that you understand that they're not speaking Christianese that we speak. They don't know everything yet. You've got to speak to them like newborn babes. So start talking to God. He'll begin to talk back to you. And when you get out of here, go to every church service you can. But when you get out of here, you can come to our church. We would love to have you. Or you can go to wherever you want to go, but make sure they're teaching the Word of God. And you try to get a basis, you know, a foundation under their feet. How did Jesus do it? How did he witness while he was here? I think pretty much the same way. Do you remember the woman at the well? See, Jesus was always looking for those opportunities. He didn't let any opportunities slip by. He's tired, and his disciples go off to town to buy some food and drink, and, and he sits down at the well, and just a woman, Samaritan woman, comes up. He just starts a conversation. Hey, will you fix me? Will you get me some water out of there? He says, who are you, a, a Jew asking me, a Samaritan? Don't y'all know? We, you know, it's a racial tension between us. We don't speak. <laughs> and so here he is reaching out across the lines that, you know, that we ignorant humans make. And he, he begins to simply tell her about living water. He begins to tell her about the Holy Spirit. He begins to say, I'm here to help. I'm the one that's going to give you the living water. I am the Messiah. He shows her that he's here to help. He wants to help her. But he gets her lost. He says, you going back to tell your husband? Oh, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had six husbands. <laughs> he gets her lost. He helps her feel a need for a Messiah. I don't know why I say, you know, I just things come to my mind, but sometimes it seems like when we go to door to door, everybody in the whole neighborhood is saved. Oh, they all know Jesus. They all go to church. Where do you go to church? Oh, uh, you know that one over, uh, it's, it's over there by the, uh, it's over by Hooters, you know. <laughs> what, oh, who's the pastor over there? Uh, it's brother so, um, I forget his name. I ain't been, you know, two or three years, but, <laughs> but if you, if you, if you stay on the surface with people, just about everybody will tell you that they're saved and they're doing good with God you got to care enough to get beyond that. Sometimes you just got to get real with people. Because you care enough to get real. Anyway, he gets her lost. He cares enough to confront her sin. He reveals himself as the Messiah. He says, I'm what you need. Of course, we can't point anybody to ourselves like Jesus, but we sure can point them to Jesus. Amen? Well, oh my goodness. Kaylee, hand these out. Hand everybody one.
Somebody said something about we were going to uh, wait out the storm, so we might as well go and preach two or three hours. I know. I know. Most of you probably already got it. There's a whole container full of them back there. But I'm just passing these out for tonight. If you got one of those pens in front of you, get you a pen. We're going to talk a little bit more. Yours got red writing on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I redid them. Ever color conscious. All right, if you got your pen, right up at the very top left, and make room to write more stuff, this is the order of things. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying... If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't witness to somebody and that your life, the way you live your life, doesn't matter. And you, you are an example. You are, I'm saying. But if you want to be a truly effective witness, powerful witness, somebody who's operating in the supernatural realm that may operate in a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, or, or prophecy, or, or you know, laying on of hands and healing, or, or you want to see miracles, or you want to be able to reach an emotional place in their life that you didn't, they didn't even know they had. You want to be able to open doors by saying something that you didn't know you should say. Then pray before you go. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, prepare the people's hearts and minds to receive when you're going to witness. I always put it in the light of going door to door because that's what I think about. But maybe for you it's more of a line before I go to work in the morning and you know you're going to go to lunch with so-and-so or whatever. Help me, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Prepare their hearts. Let me say the right thing that's going to touch them, you know. It's all you, Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm going to try my best to be obedient to what you had had me say. That's what Jesus did. That's all he went. He said, I just do what the Father tells me to say. You know, I just do what he says. Isn't that what I said a while ago that I, that I do as pastor of this church? I'm just trying to do what God says. Secondly, right, right underneath that say, pray for God to be working in their lives. That those miracles that maybe we can't see are already taking place so that, you know, somebody else has already ministered to them this week. Somebody's probably ministered to them their whole life that it's coming back to them. Seeds are being planted everywhere they turn. Their life is being watered by different Christians at different points. Laborers in the harvest such as yourself. And you, you pray that, you know, that you can either plant that seed, a new seed or water that seed or or that you can be a help to them in some kind of way. <clears throat> you might be the one to reap the harvest. That's when you do get to lead them through the sinner's prayer and you get that, that privilege. Just know that you didn't do all the work by yourself. There were other people praying for them. There were other people ministering to them along the way. All right, third, right, go be polite, but confident in the Lord. You don't have to be apologetic about God. All right, now let's go down to where it says God loves you. I want you to write beside that, I'm here to help. Right beside God loves you. I'm here to help. Remember the order of things. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray for the miracles to be going before you. Be polite but confident in the Lord. And now as we get to the sheet, this is Salvation Cliff Notes, how to witness to people. You know, it starts with two scriptures about how God loves them. In other words, you start with something that's going to open their heart. You start with some, some way to let them know that I'm here to help. I want to tell you something good. Let me tell you a bit about my testimony. Let me tell you what God's done for me. Something along those lines. And, or you could share one of these scriptures. For This is how God loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Or, but God showed his great, for love, great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So God loves you while you were a sinner, while you are a sinner, and while you're using his name as a cuss word. While I, you can use your, I use myself as an example, as you can tell, a lot when I'm ministering to people. It, it's, you know, they can learn from my mistakes instead of having to call out their mistakes and, and be like I'm pointing fingers at them. I can just use myself as an example because believe me. And then where it says you ain't so lovable, 
That's where I want you to write out beside that. Get them lost. Get them lost. <clears throat> this is where you begin to tell them they ain't as lovable as they think they are. These are two very easy scriptures that you can remember. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 10, I mean, Romans 3.23, and then as the scriptures say, none is, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. Those are two scriptures. See, if you'll memorize these scriptures, those will be, see that there's power in the word of God. It's good that you got a testimony. It's good that you're saying the right things. But when you say, it says in Romans chapter 3, and they recognize Romans as the word of God, it carries a lot more weight than your word. So if you can just say, you, you can tell them, I ain't so lovable, man. I was this and this, and I was down, and I was this, and what. And, but you know, the Bible says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so that word right there lets them know that we are all in this together. Okay? So that's why you want to memorize some of these scriptures to help you through these stages. Now, you won't use all these scriptures unless you're going by the handbook or something, and it never works like that in real life. But you, it would be nice to know them in case one of them bubbled up in your spirit at the right moment, right? You want to give God something to work with. Okay, where it says God's offer, that's where we, right outside it, say, give them the good news. The, hey, the wages of sin, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Which one do you want? Show them the hands. You know? You want the wages of sin, death? Or you want the gift of God, eternal life? You're telling them. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12. Now, like I said, you may not get to the scriptures, but understanding the principles behind these scriptures will help you with this part of witnessing. Where it says God's promise, right beside it, give them the way to salvation. How do I do this? Okay, maybe you got them to the place where they're saying, yeah, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I need saving. I, I realize what Jesus did on the cross. I realize he did it for me, and I'm ready to humble myself. I know I need to do something different. I'm ready to repent. And I see that God loves me, and I see that God is offering me something, and you've made all that plain to me. Now what do I do? Romans 10, 9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. King James says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that, that uh, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's a two-part deal. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. That's how you receive salvation. See, if most of us just knew that one scripture, knew the principles behind that one scripture, you would know how to lead somebody to the Lord. You wouldn't have to bring them down to the church, you know, they wouldn't have to wait till Sunday. You could say, look, all it is is you give Jesus lordship of your life and you say you believe that he is who he says he is, that he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead, that God raised him from the dead so that you can be raised from the dead. You know, just understand the principles behind these scriptures. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> so when you see what to pray right out beside that, close the deal. If you, if you know you've got them lost, you recognize true repentance in their heart, and you recognize that they're, they're ready to give their life to Jesus, then close the deal. Don't do this prematurely, and don't force them, like I said. Don't, don't make, guilt trip them into it, because you don't want to make a false convert, or you don't want to just uh, sound like a used car salesman. But you could lead them... You could, you could lead them in a prayer, says, I'm sorry, God, I, I realize I'm a sinner, I repent, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay my debt, you raised him from the dead. That's, what is that? That's basically obeying Romans 10, 9, where they confess him as Lord and they believe in their heart, right? That God raised him from the dead. Then just say, Jesus, I want to live for you, please be my Lord and Savior. Now you could, you could lead them through that prayer, that's what we call the sinner's prayer. Most of you already know this. But, you know, you get somebody to that point where they want to receive Christ, you say, well, I will pray with you if you would like me to help you to receive Jesus. And you could say, that, say, God, I'm sorry. 
I'm a sinner. I repent. And they, they follow after you, you know. It's the principle behind the thing. It's not the exact wording, okay? It's the principle. Get them to acknowledge that they're a sinner, that, that they repent of their sins, that they want Jesus to be Lord, and that they believe in Jesus, okay? And that, that's the qualifications to become a Christian. And then how do you know? I didn't have anything for that. What would y'all put there? Just in case to reinforce, you know, if they're saying, but, but how do I know if I'm saved? Well, 1 John 5.13 says, I have written this to you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't, we're not like those other religions that is based on works and you're good one day and so you think you might, if you died now, you might go to heaven, but it, to, tonight when you sin, you, you know you won't. No, eternal life is eternal. And so you should know in your heart. How many of you know that you're saved in here? If, if a tornado ripped through here, is there any question where you would go? If there's, not, if there's a question to any of you in here tonight, then you need to nail down your salvation. You need to know in your heart. Now, I'm not saying that any of us are perfect and we don't sin after, after, you know, we're born again, and after we say the sinner's prayer or whatever, that's, for, that's why 1 John 1, 9 is for you to, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. That's, at, that, that's speaking to Christians. You know, so at, if you sin afterwards, then you just repent again and ask God to forgive you, confess your sins, and then he forgives you. So you don't have to walk in a place your whole life wondering if... Am I good if I died right now? I mean, your sins, past, present, and future, the sin debt of all mankind has been paid. Are you listening? I'm just going to tell you something a little bit deep for a minute. I only go about this deep usually because I'm only this deep. But there's a few things I know. 1 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus paid our debt. The sin debt is paid for all mankind. People don't go to hell because there's because of their sin. The only sin God counts against them is the rejection of the free gift of salvation. So even if you have sin, if you're a, a Christian and, and uh, you, you, know, you, you kick the dog on the way in because you were mad or something at that moment and then the rapture happens, you know, relax. <laughs> now, now listen. If you're living in a state of unrepentant sin, you have sin in your life and you're not, you don't care, you need to ask yourself, are you saved? Or you need to be very concerned because you're in a backslidden state and all you need to do is repent and, and get back right with God. But in that state, are there consequences? Oh yeah, there's always consequences for sin. Right? That doesn't change whether you're saved or not. The wages of sin is still death. And uh, will somebody miss the rapture if they're living in an unrepentant state as a Christian? I don't know. I don't want to find out. I don't want you to find out either. When God's so good to us, there's no sense in us living in sin. Why would you get entangled in the yoke of bondage that he set you free from? Whew. Well, I'll go ahead and close since I'm going long again. This is supposed to be a 20-minute message. <laughs> oh, yeah. How many believes I was on the, on the interstate this morning? My truck broke down. I got one person who believes I tell the truth around. Okay, okay. How many believes that this, the story I'm telling is true? Okay. Tom came over there. He looked at the truck. He said, I'll follow you to the, to the church, and if the light goes on again, stop right there. Tom told me something I didn't know. The temperature gauge 
doesn't necessarily have to go up for you to blow the engine. <laughs> so anyway, I cranked it up and it got a little oil pressure and then the oil pressure got good. And so I drove it and made it to the church here. Tom had a good friend. He called, a good mechanic. And he must be good if he's better than Tom. Tom knows everything about vans. And, <laughs> and so he comes over and he says, I really don't think you're... you're uh, your oil, uh, what, huh? oil pump is gone bad because if you drove it any time after that light came on, you'd have thrown a rod or start knocking. And he said, I'm not hearing any noise. He said, I think it's your oil sending unit, which is a thing that, that gauges your oil pressure. And you know how gauges go bad and you have to replace them or whatever. He said, I took yours off. I cleaned it up. He said, that may work, you know. And, and so he was fixing up everything. And, uh, but he looked at the truck, and it had plenty of oil in it, but I, I do burn some oil or whatever. But the idling, the lo oil pressure was is kind of low, but I got a lot of miles, 260,000 miles on that truck. And so he said, but that could be normal for an older truck, you know. And, and uh, when you rev it up, it still wouldn't go, you know, really as far as it wants to. But it's, you know, like the motor's got a lot of mileage on it. He said, what I would suggest is you go get some better oil. He said, you've been changing your oil at, like Walmart or something. He said they just use these big barrels of cheap oil and stuff, and so and the worse air filters and stuff. I'm I'm really giving a good commercial tonight for Quaker State and Walmart and them. And don't don't put this on the podcast, please. I'll be sued by Walmart for defamation. So anyway, to make a long story short, uh, Tom gracious as he is he's already done spent most of the morning with me he says i'll change your oil if you'll if you'll just go get it because he knew i ain't even started a message yet and i was running behind i hear it is almost lunch already so i went and we went to walmart and got some synthetic oil some better oil and a, and a better oil filter and some lucas oil treatment stuff and brought it back and tom was kind enough to put it in the, the engine for me and and change the oil filter and everything he got it all fixed up and he cranked it up and, he, and when i went out there he showed it to me it was idling on like 40 pounds the, the pressure had went up like 20 pounds of oil pressure just idling and then you gave it gas it's really getting good high oil pressure just the type of oil <laughs> now I look back and all of Papa's engines seem to burn up prematurely I don't remember him getting 270,000 miles on any of his vehicles but like oil is to an engine blood is to our body right it's basically the same thing oil is not just oil and we need we all need the blood of Jesus. If we're going to live forever, we need the everlasting blood cover, covering of Jesus. So Tom came and got me while I was lost. He helped me get to the church. And he gave me a transfusion of oil. Everybody say, way to go, Tom. Way to go. You saved the pastor. <laughs> So I didn't know it at the time, but I was driving this thing thinking I knew more than my gauges. I said, I got time. I can, I can at least make it to the church. It's not overheating. If that oil pump would have been out, guess what would have happened? God was giving me signs on my dashboard saying, stop, stop, stop. He was preparing my heart, sort of like those signs in heaven that he's given us today. He's given us signs. Thank goodness. It wasn't a real situation. It was just signs. Because if it had been real for me, 
It would have been sudden, unexpected, and it would have been over for my truck. And that's how life, that's how death can come. Sudden, unexpected, and it'll be over with. Some, of, some people live thinking that they're going to have that moment on the deathbed where they can come to Jesus and get right. That's not promised to anybody. Just like that light went off, I drive another 100 yards, that thing could have locked up. So get the right oil in your motor before it's too late, amen? I think I saw everybody's hand when I asked. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.